I was asked to share with you about why, um, well, no. So I'll share with you about the discipline of worship. There we go. Discipline of worship, and the question is, why are we concerned about worship? And let's get there eventually. Um, first off, though, uh, just coming off of this last song, the thought process that came to my brain was Ephesians 2. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there. Apostle Paul writing underneath inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning of chapter 2 in Ephesians, wrote, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Woohoo. There's encouragement, right? That's the reality. That's the best I have. And that is hopeless. And then I think the two greatest words in all Scripture, but God... Verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Right? That's First John. God loved us, sent his son. Right? We respond to him because he first loved us. That's the reality. The great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that we might have our better life now. No, no. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Then the verses that many of us have memorized, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. It's like, okay, that's the reality of what we were just singing, the wonder of our Savior dying for us as rebels, as traitors, as those who would stiff arm and shake our fists at the creator of the universe. Okay, so that's Ephesians 2, but let, let's think about this. Discipline of worship. Okay, every one of us worships. We worship something. Turn to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Every single member of humanity is a worshiping factory. We do it all the time. The only question is what or who are we worshiping? So Psalm 115, the psalmist starts off with this great exhortation, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Then you have this question coming, right? Verse 2, why should the nation say, where is their God? The response is, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. So we see a contrast here beginning. Israelites worshiping the true God, creator of the universe. Those challenging, saying, where is their God? Well, keep going with verse 4. It's not like they were absent of worshiping something. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but they do not speak, eyes, but they do not see, they have ears, but they do not hear, noses, but do not smell. 
They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They, excuse me, they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. That's the reality of humanity. Every single one of us worships something. Sadly, for many of us, we wind up worshiping ourselves. I mean, that, that's, we discipline ourselves to worship ourselves. We follow, we just let ourselves give direction instead of letting God's word direct us in relation to how we should worship. So why are we concerned about worship? Every, person's wor- every person worships, Psalm 115. Turn to John 4 and we can see a classic New Testament example of God desiring true worshipers. In John 4, we have the presentation of Jesus interacting with the Samaritan woman at the well. It's a story many of us know, probably know it very well. And there's back and forth interaction here. Jesus says in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water, right, the water that the woman would be pulling from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then dropping down, there's more interaction about where we're going to worship. And Jesus states in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So there's the reality. That's why we're concerned about this, is because each one of us worships, and by the way, God has stated that he pursues true worshipers, which is really unique here, guys. When you think about this, the reality of we love God because... Why? He first loved us, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not, like, it's not like he loved me because I first loved him. No, no, don't get that inverted. He loved me, therefore I am able to respond to him in love. If he didn't initiate, there's no way in the world I could respond. So think through the reality of worship. God reveals, we respond. God reveals, humanity responds. That's the reality of worship. Okay? So the discipline aspect of worship uh, can, it can come about in, in different ways. But let, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We can see uh, the thought process concerning why this might even be in our brains. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Starting with verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Verse 8, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And if we drop down even to verse 12, a verse that many youth are encouraged to memorize, Let no one despise you for your youth, 
but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And I would make an argument to you that that requires discipline. If you are going to make an example or set an example, it will require discipline. That's a disciplinary issue. Okay, And uh, so we, we see here the Apostle Paul addressing the reality of physical discipline being of some benefit. All right? So we, we do things along those lines. We will go for a run. We will lift weights. We'll work out. Um, right? Some of us might play basketball or other sports as a means of trying to stay in shape. Well, that, that, that's great. That, that is great. But the reality is that we will do that, but then we won't put any thought process into the discipline of pursuing the Lord. We won't put we won't put a lot of thought process into the discipline, if you will, of worship. We'll just say, well, that will just happen. It's like, okay, um, how many of you have a workout that just happens? Does that happen for him? Gail, do, does Gail. that ever happen for you? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I keep waiting for that day. You know, it's just like where, I don't know, by osmosis or something, poof, the workout just happened and I didn't have to do anything. Okay, thank you. There we go. That works for me. But, I mean, think about this, guys. We will put emotional energy, we will put mental energy into something that God's Word says, well, yeah, there's some benefit there, but then we won't put any mental energy or emotional energy into something that God says is uh, wholeheartedly important. We just won't do it. And then we're surprised when there is no spiritual growth. It's like, and I understand, the Spirit is the one who is at work in us. And somehow there's a personal responsibility aspect as well. So, yeah, the discipline of worship. Training, discipline. Uh, I, th I think it's Matt Chandler who, who uh, made the statement in his commentary on Eve. No, Philippians. It was, uh, the, the statement was, no one stumbles into godliness ever. It just doesn't happen. Okay, it's just not going to happen. So if you are not making a priority of pursuing a discipline of worship, it's not going to happen. It's not like this is just going to magically occur. Um, okay, spiritual benefit here. Let's turn to Romans 12. And here is the reality of the discipline of worship in a broad perspective of life. I mean, stop and think about this. When we talk about worship, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Singing, music, yes, just shoot me. Okay, <laughs> seriously. I, that, if, if you want to push some buttons for me, yeah, ju just keep referring to it in that manner, right? Paul, you know about this. It's just, yeah, I mean, just like it that will grate on me because music is a portion of worship. It's a vehicle that can be used in a life of worship, but don't miss this. It is a life of worship. Music doesn't equal worship, okay? You know, when you, you get those, those feelings, the, the hair rising on the back of your neck and, and you get the little warm fuzzies and you've got the, um, what, what do you call them, the, the um, goosebumps, thank you, running up and down your arm. It's like, right? Y'all been there? Yeah, 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 yeah. A good country song does it to me. 
And I got the tea. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. I will just be a weeping mess. Oh, yeah. Sign up for music and worship in the spring. You'll see it. Okay, no joke. It's like I can play the same song over and over again. It has the same effect. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with God. I mean, I will just tell you. It's just, it's a well-crafted story. And I like well-crafted stories. And you know what? Another thing is those, all those things that I was talking about, right, where we might think, oh, snap, worship just occurred. It's like, well, think about this. You can get the same thing from a nice walk outside. Okay? So... Be careful that you don't attribute to one portion of a life of worship and make, don't, don't make that into the reality of worship. Okay, so I'm sorry, here are Romans 12, right? That's where we were going. Okay, Romans 12. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It's a reasonable service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? So the first thing here is that here's a holistic picture of worship. It is our lives given to God. That's the reality of it. And the problem is that I don't like the thought of being a sacrifice. I don't like the thought of dying. Scripture is very clear, right? What Christ said, it's like, he would find his life, must lose it, right? Take up your cross daily and follow me. It's like, well, boy, that sounds like just really good stuff, okay? Just this morning, I, I was reading about this uh, um, HGTV um, uh, they do something on HGTV, this couple. Anyway, they're married. Uh, they seem to love the Lord. And um, yeah, they, they've just been um, targeted as the recipients of some attacks. And it's because of their profession to follow Christ. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, the pastor of the church where they go to actually thinks that um, homosexuality is wrong. And, and, and so this is the reality is that our lives, we think we own them, especially as Americans, right? What are the big three from the U.S. Declaration of Independence? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, right? Life, yeah, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Stop and think through these things, right? Life, he who would find his life must lose it. Liberty, you were once slaves to sin, you're now... Slaves to righteousness, woohoo! Okay, and happiness. Um, happiness is not really something I present, and I, I would disagree wholeheartedly with John Piper on this. Is that I see joy presented in Scripture, time after time after time. Happiness, mm, not so sure about that. Right? I can be joyful in a flat tire. Happy about a flat tire? I think you're lying. Okay, sorry. Don't, I mean, you know, just that's the reality. It's like, okay, so it's like this is, this is the antithesis of our American culture. So when we think about disciplining ourselves, think through this. We are disciplining ourselves against the culture in which we live. Because the culture in which we live says, champion yourself. The Lord Jesus Christ says, die to yourself. 
right? And dying to self would be super, super easy if it didn't require dying and if it didn't require myself. <laughs> you know, if, if you all could die for me to self, that'd be sweet. Because that way I can just keep living my self-centered life. Right? No, that's the reality of this, is that we are living sacrifices. And think about this. The sacrifice doesn't get the option of saying, yeah, you know, I think this is worthwhile, this is not worthwhile. The sacrifice is a sacrifice. That's what it is, plain and simple. We're put on the altar, holy and acceptable to God. It's a reasonable service of worship. Okay, so now... Keep going with this. Here's more of that discipline thing. Not being conformed to the world, right? Not being conformed to the world. And, and so there is we live in a society that wants us to just become part of that society, to be members of that society. Um, living in the United States, what it means to be a good um, citizen of the United States means you should be a good consumer. Okay? So be a consumer. Yay for capitalism. And go spend and do well. And, but, you know, don't you, so instead of being squeezed into the mold of the world, which is a belief system, right, a worldview, values championed by the culture and the society in which we live, the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, each one of us, as those professing to follow Christ, must seek to become like the Lord. And yes, the Holy Spirit is the one who is at work in us, and yet there is the reality of Ephesians 4. You want to turn to Ephesians 4? Ephesians 4, verse 1. I mean, if it's all spirit, Paul could never have written this. If everything was up, I mean, if, if there was no personal responsibility in this, Paul could not have written these words. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That sounds like personal responsibility. With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Okay? So, yes, absolutely. The Spirit is the one who is at work within us. The Spirit is the one who is strengthening us. But there is the reality of personal responsibility. Dare we call it discipline? Some of us think discipline is a four-letter word. You know, I don't, don't want to say that. I don't want to use that. Okay, well, let's, let's keep going with this. Discipline, transformation takes place because of the work of the Spirit in us, but our thinking is changed as we study and meditate on the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15, anyone? Little Awana, come on. Do your best. Present yourself as one approved, which leadeth not to shame, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Boom, there we go. All right. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, how do you rightly divide the word of truth? Don't mean to be dumb about this. You have to be in the word of truth to rightly divide the word of truth. So if you aren't in the word of truth, you can't rightly divide it. All right, that sounds like discipline. Psalm 150, uh, excuse me, 119. Psalm 119. Verse 9, how can a young man, young woman, young person, keep their way pure by guarding it according to your word? And then look at verse 10, personal discipline. With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. 
right? So we, we, we pursue knowing God, and that, that, it does. It sounds like discipline. It is. Okay, Psalm 96. Now we'll get to the part that all of you, sorry, many of us in our society want to equate with worship. Sing Psalm 96. Turn to Psalm 96. We finally are going to get to sing. Psalm 96, the psalmist opens with these words, Oh, sing to the Lord, sing to Yahweh a new song. Sing to Yahweh all the earth and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised. A couple New Testament examples of this. Colossians 3. Colossians 3. Verse 16. I should jump back to 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, and there's a parallel passage over in Ephesians 5. Turn to Ephesians 5. Verse 19. Addressing one another, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're, we're commanded to sing. We're commanded also to present our lives as living sacrifices. Um, but the sing thing is something that I, I think it can be Interesting to think through. First off, notice uh, Colossians and Ephesians. One says, sing to one another. The other says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So it's just, that's an interesting dynamic there is the reality of what we are singing should be able to stand as truth without the music behind it. Right? We have the spoken teaching of God's word. That's this. I'd make the argument you have the sung teaching of God's word. That would be music and worship. Okay, so it matters. Put on my tombstone, right? It matters what we sing. It matters what we sing. Because at the end of the day, right, when, when we were doing that, the, um, I came in and did that announcement for the um, conference here in the fall. We are preparing people to die. Every week when we come together, as a congregation, we are preparing one another to die. Because, you know, I mean, y'all aren't going to remember much that I say here today. And I, I'm not bitter and angry about that. It's just, it's just a reality. Because we just don't remember that much. But you throw a ditty behind something, and oh my word, we can remember it for decades. My wife still remembers music, you know, from when she was in grade school and high school. We're not that old, but we're not that young. 
Okay? So, is, I mean, that, that, that's a reality, is you can remember things when there is music behind it. But we struggle to remember something that is just spoken. Someone has made the statement, music goes to a place in us where the spoken word can never go. I think there might be some truth in that. Might be some truth in that. So here, here, here's the thing, okay, right? We had New Testament examples. We had the Old Testament scenario of sing. So what do we do when we don't feel like singing? What do we do when we don't feel like singing? God's word directs us to sing, but what should we do when we don't feel like it? Um, one worship pastor on the East Coast has written this. I don't always feel like singing in corporate worship. I don't. So what do I do? I sing. I worship. I choose. Stop, stop and think about it. We make choices every moment. I choose. And something begins to happen. I start to feel. My heart starts to sing. My volition leads or kickstarts my emotion. And this is really why we are commanded to sing about God and not merely talk about him. And I mean no offense with this, but we need to get over ourselves. We might say, well, I don't have that great of a voice, or uh, you know, I just can't sing, or, or you know, whatever. I don't feel like singing. Get over yourself. It's not about you anyway. Right? It's not about you. So just get over yourself. Develop the discipline. Pursue the discipline of worshiping God through song, through music. And, and, and as we do that, what's interesting is then we are teaching, we are speaking truth to ourselves if we are singing music that is coming from God's Word. If we aren't singing music that is coming from, our, from God's Word, we are still speaking things to ourselves. No joke. But we're speaking things to ourselves that maybe aren't going to necessarily help us. Right? The, the importance of speaking truth to ourselves well, consider this, out of Psalm 42. Let, let's turn there quickly, Psalm 42. Um, this is why it's important that we're speaking truth to ourselves. Psalm 42 opens with a great, great couple verses. You know, many of us know, As the deer pants for the water, so my, whole, my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Okay, and then verse 5. The psalmist asks, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? There's the question. Now he's going to speak truth. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Okay, so, so and then he closes out the chapter, closes out the psalm, excuse me. Same question, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him, my salvation, and my God. This is why it matters what we sing, because we're going to remember it. I mean, what are we going to remember when we go through a rough time in life? We're going to remember what we've been putting into ourselves. And if we've not developed the discipline of worshiping God, of seeking to pursue him as much as it depends on us, we're going to be sadly disappointed with the results. Okay. And quite honestly, here's the rest of the reality. Uh, we're going to spend eternity doing this. And so 
it's not a bad practice to start working on now. Turn to Revelation. We'll, we'll close out here looking at a few verses out of Revelation this morning. Start with Revelation 5. By the way, the reason why I went with music here is, is a primary here outside of a life of worship this morning is I understand y'all have talked about prayer and things like that. And so y'all are covering that in other scenarios. But if I were to try to do a holistic thing on this, we would have been prayer would have been part of this. You know, interaction with one another, community would be part of it as well. But anyway, this is where we are. So Revelation 5, verse 9. They sang a new song. This is a picture out of heaven. Right, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God out of every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Turn over a couple chapters to Revelation 15. Another presentation, verse 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And finally, in Revelation 19, after this, verse 1, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. And then jump down to verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. So God reveals, we respond. Right? God reveals, we respond. You could throw into there as well, God reveals, we receive and respond. Thinking through, God loves us, we receive and we respond to that. But the reality is, is it requires a response from us. And that is the personal discipline aspect of worship, the discipline of worship. So when we consider the greatness of God, even as we've been reading these things here out of Revelation, when we see the greatness of God, it should evoke within us a desire to present our lives before Him in worship. We should then respond like this, right? 
Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Lord God, as we go throughout the rest of this day, this week, looking forward to finals, the end of the semester, and the reality of the rest of our lives. Uh, indeed, Lord, may we pursue the thought process of this discipline of worship, of choosing to worship you, of not being ambivalent, not just saying, well, it'll, it'll happen when it happens, but to actually make you the priority as we offer our lives in worship to you, to be used by you, to be used for your glory. Not that people would notice us, but that they would see you, that they would see your greatness, that they would see your majesty. And indeed, Father, we live in a dark, a dark world, a dark culture, a dark scenario. And in this setting, Lord, in fact, may, may we shine as lights, even as, as your servant, the Apostle Paul, wrote, Lord, may we shine as lights in a crooked and perverse generation. May we be as stars, proclaiming you as the truth. We pray this all in Jesus' name.